Good morning, everybody. Came across a story this week from an elementary school teacher about an incident that happened in her classroom, and it made me chuckle a little bit. It was during sort of a free time period that they had in the day. She was at her desk, and she heard from the other side of the room the sound of crying and kind of a moaning sound. So she looked up, and she saw this little boy on the ground kind of rolling around holding himself. And so she went over to investigate. And most of the kids had kind of given him some space, you know, as kids do. They want to watch and ogle, but they don't want to get involved and be implicated. But there was this one little girl who was just sort of standing over him. And so the teacher asked the girl what happened, and she said, I kicked him. Okay, well, why did you kick him? And the little girl said, well, because he asked me to. And this was kind of frustrating to the teacher, and so in her frustration, she asked that question that we have all been asked in our lives at least once. She said, well, if he asked you to jump off of a cliff, would you do it? And the girl said, no, but if he asked me to kick him again, I probably would. Um, and at that, the teacher had to kind of turn around and compose herself because you don't expect to hear that when that question is asked. But we've all been asked that question before, or a, a very similar kind of question. Uh, maybe we were asked by a teacher, or maybe it was a coach. It was probably a parent, and it was probably after we had done something very foolish at the insistence or the influence of somebody else, one of our friends. We probably heard this question when we were a little younger in life, because that's when we're most impressionable and when the influence of other people is most profound in our lives. That's what we like to pretend anyway. The reality is, even well into adulthood, we are still very heavily influenced by our social circles and by our peers. That influence just looks a little different, and it, it shows up in maybe some less conspicuous ways. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we wrap up the series that we've been in for many weeks now called Mindfield. Our minds are incredibly powerful faculties, and they have the potential to shape how we interact with people, how we react to situations, how we conduct ourselves and compose ourselves. Our worldview shapes everything about how we understand ourselves and God and our neighbors and the world around us. Incredibly powerful things. And these worldviews, these minds of ours, can be shaped by what we consume, by what we feed them. If we feed them the typical patterns and thinkings and ideologies of the world and the culture around us, they're going to grow to look like the world and the culture around us. But if we feed our minds and our worldviews the ideologies and thinkings of God in, in redeemed ways, well, we're going to be looking more like biblically-minded people. That's what we've been talking about throughout this series, and we've really focused on our individual contributions to that how we can cut things out, how we can indulge in certain godly things, what steps can we take to cultivate a renewed kind of mind. Today we're going to branch out a little bit as we wrap things up. We're going to be looking at the impact of those around us, our social circles and our community. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, 17 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bible with you, we can follow along on the screen behind where we always put the passage, or you can download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device, tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find our sermon notes tool along with our passage pulled up, ready for you to engage with, take some notes on, and get the most out of our time together today. So, like I said, we've been in this series for several weeks, and we've really focused on our own individual contributions. How can we uh, resist or how can we cut things out to avoid being conformed to the pattern of this world and what can we indulge in that will transform us by the renewing of our minds? 
And we've really used this metaphor of diet to help us understand this throughout the series, this idea of you are what you eat. Like we said, if we consume worldly things, we're going to have a worldly mind, godly things, we're going to have a godly mind. We're going to continue borrowing that metaphor, but we're going to tweak it just a little bit because as it turns out, it's not just what you eat that's so influential in our lives and our worldviews. turns out you're also who you eat with. We will become who we eat with. And on a funny note, I kept forgetting that word with when I was rehearsing this, and we just say, you are who you eat. And I was like, that's cannibalism. That's not what we're doing. We become who we eat with. Let's look at our proverb. This is Proverb 27, verse 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I am not a metal worker. I don't work with metal a whole lot. I'm more of a wood person, but I do have knives in my kitchen. Uh, and, and I have learned that there are a few things more frustrating than trying to cut slightly overripened tomatoes with a dull knife or trim chicken with a dull knife because it just isn't going to work. It isn't going to cut it. Boom, right? Um, we're, we're getting loose. We're having puns. It's fun. So what we did, we bought this little knife sharpener. It's this little red thing that we keep on the windowsill above the sink in our kitchen. And every time I wash the dishes, I use that knife sharpener and I just run it through. And it's this little V-shaped thing and we just run the knife through and there's two little metal files on either side. And when you run that knife through, that metal on metal action, it sharpens that knife and it hones it. And it makes that blade altogether more useful and beneficial in basically every way. And that's kind of the picture that's being given to us in our proverb. It's this picture of a, a metal file being run across a blade and sharpening it so that it actually can cut and slice and do the work that its creator intended it to do. That's the impact that our relationships have in our lives. When we converse with people, when we have conversations, we have discussions, when we have debate, even when there's constructive criticism given, all of our interactions have this powerful potential to sharpen and hone both our minds and our character to be incredibly beneficial and productive in what God intended it to be. As iron sharpens iron, so one person has the powerful potential to shape one another. And this is a principle that's even been recognized in just kind of the world at large. Uh, there was a, once a businessman slash a motivational speaker. His name was Jim Rohn. He was fairly well known, passed away in 2009. And he's probably best known for this quote. He says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Maybe you've heard that before. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, meaning those five people that you spend the most time with, their character, their interests, their strengths, their weaknesses, all of that is going to factor together and kind of compose who you are in a large capacity. You might phrase it in a biblical way as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I've seen this play out in my own life, as you probably have as well, and maybe the, the easiest anecdote to point to would be my marriage. Uh, when my wife Lindsay and I got married 14 years ago, we were different people, you know, not drastically different, but we had different personality flaws and characteristics. For instance, I, I was far less empathetic and compassionate than I am today, and some of you who know me might say, you're compassionate? You're empathetic today? It was worse, trust me. 
My wife is very empathetic and very compassionate and very people-oriented, and so spending 14 years with that person has shaped me and how I speak and how I think and how I feel and, you know, in very powerful ways. Likewise, when she and I first got married, her GPA shot way up after about six months because I value, I may not have a lot of empathy, but I value a schedule, okay? We got things to do. Late-nighters are for suckers. And trips to the library, we schedule those a week ahead of time. And so she came to value discipline. She came to value punctuality. And as a result, those qualities were honed in her life. Spending time with people shapes us in various ways. I want you just real quick in your mind, I want you to, to think of the people that you spend the most time with day to day. Now, you may not consider them to be the most influential people in your life, but think of the people you spend the most time with. And maybe take stock of how those people have shaped you or changed you or impacted you in some way. Maybe it's a coworker who is a big sports fan, and they're always talking about sports, or they're always talking about their favorite team. And maybe after spending years working beside this person, maybe you find yourself paying a little more attention to the sports section. Or maybe you start to notice and recognize teams, or you follow certain teams, or you track the career of, of some professional athlete, even if you don't mean to, you just sort of do because you hear things a little differently now. Maybe that's how they've shaped you. Or maybe in your family, you have family members that highly value fitness and exercise and diet and healthy living. And they're very deliberate in watching what they eat and eating healthy things, or they're very disciplined and diligent in their exercise regimen. Maybe you, just by virtue of knowing them and being around them, find yourself thinking a little more intentionally about what you consume, or finding yourself in an exercise regimen, or at least feeling like you ought to exercise, because we don't always do it, right? But, but it impacts the way we think about life and about priorities. Or maybe you have a friend you get coffee with, with once a month or so, and, and they're just very business-minded, and they're, they're talking about their investments or about business opportunities, or, or you know, here's what this different uh, CEO did and some lessons I learned from this conference. Maybe they talk about those things, and you find yourself thinking a little differently about finance and about business and entrepreneurship and all of these things. Maybe you feel a little more entrepreneurial yourself. It may be these. It may be something very different, but I would bet dollars to donuts as you sit down and think about the people you have spent the most time with, you could identify some way that they have rubbed off on you, so to speak, or that they have sharpened you in some way. And it's not just trivial things that are sharpened and honed by the company we keep. Sometimes it's very important things. Sometimes it's physical things that change about us because of the company we keep. There's a really uh, large study that was done for over 30 years by some researchers, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. It's actually one of the longest-running medical research uh, experiments in, in history. It's, like I said, over three decades. And they were looking at the correlation between uh, our social networks and our physical health. Is there any connection between those that we surround ourselves with and various different physical ailments or, or tendencies? And after 30 years, they were able to identify quite a bit of data that indicated, yeah, there's a strong correlation between our social networks and our health. They would look at very objective and easy to measure things like obesity. And they would indicate, they found that if you have somebody in your life, a close friend or family member who becomes obese, you are 42% more likely to gain weight yourself sometime in the next two to four years simply by virtue of knowing and being around that person frequently. 
What was really interesting was that if you have a friend or family member who has a friend who gains weight or becomes obese, so not even somebody you know directly, but a friend of a friend, you actually are now 21% more likely to gain weight sometimes during the two to four year period. Our social network, both at those immediate and those distant to us, they have a lot of impact on our lives. Another indicator, this probably won't surprise anybody, if you have a close friend or family member who takes up smoking, you have a 62% higher chance of becoming a smoker yourself. And likewise, if a friend of a friend or family member picks up smoking, you now have a 31% chance of becoming, more likely, of becoming a smoker yourself. Our social circles and the people we surround ourselves, the company we keep, impacts us in tremendous ways. And this study actually highlights what we're going to call the dark potential of this proverb. Because it isn't just beneficial and godly characteristics and qualities that are sharpened by our friends, family, and peers. There's a strong likelihood that detrimental qualities may also be sharpened and honed within us. And you've probably experienced this. If you've spent time, a significant amount of time, around a negative person, do you walk away feeling energized and uplifted and ready to seize the day, or do you yourself start to feel a little down and a little depressed? Yet negativity is contagious. In fact, epidemiologists have studied the way that feelings spread between different people, and they found it's remarkably similar to models of how actual disease spreads within people and groups. Negativity is very contagious, or as the Bible puts it, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And it's not just negativity or how we might feel that gets impressed upon us or that is shared. If we spend our time or significant amount of time among those who indulge in vices, such as overindulgence or materialism or drunkenness, guess which vices are more likely to develop and show up in our own lives? Or if we spend our time around somebody who views the world in terms of us versus them, power versus oppressed, this party versus that party, or divides people among ideologies or lines of demographic or whatever, guess how we are going to begin to view ourselves and our neighbors and the world around us? Ideas turns out, are very contagious as well. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The company we keep is incredibly influential in shaping who we are and how we think. It's not just kids and teenagers. It's adults of every shape, size, and age. And this proverb, this observational truth, is very insightful. We can look at that and we can say, okay, yeah, it does seem to be the way that the world works. But the beauty of this is that it's not merely meant to be observational. It's meant to be applicational. We can take this information that this proverb is giving us and we can actually leverage it to our own advantage. And that's where we have to turn our attention now. Let me ask the question, how do we use this to kind of benefit ourselves. And I would, if we were going to borrow our metaphor a little bit, I would say be very intentional in choosing who you eat with. Be very intentional in choosing who you eat with or consider the company that you keep in both close and distant proximity. So what do we mean by that? Let's talk about close proximity. We all have people in our lives whom we see Every single day, face-to-face, we interact with on a one-on-one basis, we have conversations with in real time. These are people that we experience in close proximity. 
And we've already seen from the various illustrations given already that these close proximity relationships are very influential in our lives, right? These are the people that influence how we think and that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And we want to be intentional in who we hang out with in that close-to-close, one-on-one, close proximity kind of relationship, you know? What well, a question that we've not asked ourselves is, are these people that are in close proximity to us, are they beneficial? Are they healthy for us? Or are they people that we ought to keep kind of at arm's length? Now, in saying that, some people may hear that and say, well, that, that doesn't sound right. That kind of sounds kind of mean, or that sounds a little unloving, or that sounds a little unchristian to keep people at arm's length. But I want you to consider this for a minute. Of those people that are in close proximity with us, how many of them did we choose to allow into the close proximity of our lives? How many of them did we choose to say, yes, you deserve to be somebody who influences me in such a high degree and capacity? Many times our family members, we don't choose them. Many times our coworkers, we don't choose them. And these are people, just those two groups, whom we may spend 60, 70% of our days with. People we did not choose. Are they healthy? Are they beneficial? Are they going to build us up, or are they going to sharpen negative attributes and qualities within us? We have every right to ask ourselves, is this somebody that I should allow into an influential position, or should I kind of keep them at a distance? It is not unloving to say to somebody, I love you, but we are not going to be best friends. I love you, but we are not going to spend any more time together than we already do. I love you. But you cannot be one of those highly influential voices in my life because these are reserved for people that will sharpen me for a specific quality and character. You may not phrase it that way. That's a little technical. But it is perfectly fine to choose who we eat with, so to speak, in close proximity, to choose who are going to be these relationships that are so influential in my life. So those are close proximity relationships. We need to be just as discerning in those distant proximity relationships. And when we talk about distant proximity, we're talking about the voices that every single one of us listens to, and yet these are not people we see face-to-face. They probably don't know we exist, and we will probably never meet them. These are the voices we listen to every time we turn on Dateline or we turn on Good Morning America, or the voices that we hear every time we pick up that novel or that best-selling book or the voice we hear on the Sunday morning sermon or the Monday morning radio shows or driving to work. These are voices with people whom we may not have a close one-on-one relationship with. We may never even meet them, and yet their voices still shape us and sharpen us with tremendous power. Lately, I've been listening to a guy on YouTube. His name is Lucas. And probably over the last three weeks, I've listened to him almost every day. He talks about investment, finance, business, and really his whole thing is talking about lessons he has learned the hard way and wanting to kind of pass on that wisdom to people so they don't have to learn it the hard way. And he has had a huge impact on shaping how I think about investment and finance and business and priorities and goals and risk and things like that. It's somebody I've never met and probably never will. And yet his voice is very influential in shaping how I think and sharpening me. There's a pastor named Craig Groeschel. Uh, he has a leadership podcast that I listen to once a month when it comes out. He's had a phenomenal impact on shaping how I view church leadership and church organization and really just team leadership in general. I will never meet this guy. And he has no idea I exist. And yet his voice 
is incredibly influential in my life. These are examples of people we have distant proximity to, and yet voices that we listen to and shape us phenomenally. We want to be discerning in who we listen to. Whether it's somebody who's in that close one-on-one relationship or somebody that we just listen to, you know, from a distance. We're going to be intentional in choosing who we eat with. It makes sense that we would want to listen to people and surround ourselves with voices that are going to help us achieve our goal. Our goal is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the way, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. To become a more biblically-minded person who views the world and who views our neighbors, views ourselves, views God in terms of what is redeemed and right and true. If that's our goal, then we need to surround ourselves with voices that share that perspective. If I'm trying to become a better tennis player, it will do me absolutely no good to surround myself with a group of fishermen. I may laugh a lot, but I'm not going to become a better tennis player, am I? If I want to further that goal, then I need to surround myself with people who are great tennis players and be sharpened by them. If my goal is to view myself and my neighbors and my life and my world around me in terms of a more redeemed biblical kind of truth, then I need to surround myself with voices that view the world in those terms. Be very selective in who we choose to eat with. So how do we do that practically? Because you and I both know we can't just eliminate every voice in our lives that sharpens bad qualities or that doesn't further that goal. We still have to go to work on Monday, right? And we all have that one coworker. For me, it's Colin. It's just, ah, no. No, I love Colin. I love working with him. But we all have those people in our lives. We cannot avoid. We cannot just, you know, cut out entirely. How do we do this practically? I want to suggest that the answer to that question is already built into the Christian faith. A lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we have this tendency to focus on how we experience it individually. We hear the story of how Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can be redeemed, so that I can be brought into God's family, so that I can have eternal life. And all of that is completely true. But that is not the full extent of God's good work. God's goal and God's purpose in the gospel is not just to redeem one person, but to create a new humanity for himself, a community of redeemed people that are his. God's goal and purpose is not just to forgive the sin of one person, but to undo the power of sin entirely and all of its corruptive influence in his creation. God's goal and purposes in Jesus dying on the cross is not just to save one individual person, but to establish a kingdom for himself and to take back what is rightfully his. It's so much more and so much bigger, and I would argue so much greater, than just what we experience on an individual level. The gospel is not focused on us, but we are included in this great and glorious plan of redemption that God is working. And here's where I'm going with this. We are looking and searching and hungering for a community of people who will build up our thinking in redeemed ways. We already belong to that. It's called the church. 
That's the good news of the gospel. Yes, God has saved us, but He's also saved all of these other people who are seeking after Him, who are trying to grow, to look more like Christ, who are trying to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have a community of people surrounding us right now to build us up and sharpen us in good and godly ways. If we're looking for a practical application of this, I'd say you're sitting in it right now. Be a part of the church. Don't just come and consume on Sunday morning, but be a part of the church community. There's so many ways that the church body can sharpen us. Sometimes it is the sermon on Sunday. And by the way, that doesn't just mean listening to me. There are wonderful teachers out there. There are some stinkers, so be discerning. But there are some wonderful teachers who are full of biblical insight and wisdom that are going to bring God's Word from a perspective that shines light on a particular facet of this life and this world. And by listening to these different people talk about God's truth from different perspectives, we are going to have a fuller understanding and a fuller vision of what redeemed thinking looks like. And those are relationships that we might have at a distance. We may never meet these people who are speaking and teaching. But you know what? It doesn't mean that they can't have influence in our lives. Or we might look for some close proximity relationships in the church. Maybe we join a small group. Maybe we join a Bible study or a class. Maybe it's every week, maybe it's once a month, but having that intentional group of people surrounding us, talking about life, talking about God's Word, talking about God's truth, sharing with one another is going to provide that perspective and that insight that shines light on how we ourselves can fuller engage with our lives and our world from a godly perspective. There are tons of relationships, tons of wisdom available within the church body if we just choose to engage with it and participate in it. We said earlier, if I'm trying to become a better tennis player, I shouldn't go hang out with a bunch of fishermen. If I'm trying to grow as a redeemed person who thinks in a redeemed way, it makes sense that I would surround myself with people who are also being redeemed by God, right? So we can call this principle a number of different things. We, we can use the proverbial language, that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We can use the motivational guru language of Jim Rohn. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. We can use sort of the diet metaphor. You are who you choose to eat with. At the end of the day, it all boils down to the same basic principle. We are highly influenced in how we think, in how we live, in how we relate, in almost every facet of our lives, we are highly influenced by the company that we keep. So be intentional in choosing that company, in choosing that community. And if I could offer some redeemed wisdom and insight, take full advantage of the company and the community that God has provided around you this morning and participate in the church as he called and created us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work in restoring our discernment, and our wisdom, and our knowledge. And you have provided wisdom in the pages of Scripture. You have provided wisdom through great teachers, and you have provided wisdom in the people sitting next to us this morning. And I pray that we would take full advantage of the resources that you put before us that we would surround ourselves with godly wisdom that will grow us and sharpen us in our conduct, in our character, 
and in our thinking and worldview, that together we would become the redeemed community that you are working in and restoring, that we would reflect Jesus, our Savior, and that we would go out into this world as people encouraged and sharpened by one another to represent him faithfully and fully. We pray these things in his name. Amen.